In this month's headline news, we will provide updates on foreign trade, animal disease traceability, black vultures, beef in the classroom, market facilitation program number two, beef quality assurance for consumers, and cattle prices. In a consumer focus segment, we'll talk about beef alternatives to turkey for Thanksgiving. In the Ask Dr. Ron segment, we'll answer the question, what information do I need to have available when working with a nutritionist to develop a cost-effective supplementation strategy for my low-quality hay? In producer focus, we'll be visiting with Cody Sankey. In timely production and management tips, we'll be talking about winterizing the cow herd. In upcoming events, we'll talk about Hoosier Beef Congress, regional beef meetings, master cattlemen, and IBCA convention. Hi, I'm Dr. Ron Lemonager, Beef Extension Specialist at Purdue University. And now, a word from our good friends at Corteva, who have graciously underwritten this program. Your land is more than a business. It's a heritage that has been passed down from those who tended it before you, by those who shaped it, changed it, and cared for it. Your land has a legacy, one that you carry on, but also one you build on. At Corteva AgriScience, we are the stewards of a lasting legacy. We have a responsibility to Dow AgroSciences to maintain the relationships and trust they built and to build upon those foundations to help you care for your land to provide innovations that help you protect the hard work and investment you've poured into it to help you build a legacy that can be passed on for generations to come Corteva AgriScience We'll kick off headline news with the U.S.-Japan trade agreement, which was first announced by President Trump in September and signed at the White House on October 7th. It will reduce tariffs on U.S. beef to the same rates as those currently being paid by the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership suppliers such as Australia, Canada, and New Zealand. Assuming the trade agreement is implemented soon, U.S. Meat Export Federation projects U.S. beef exports to Japan to reach $2.3 billion in 2020 and to approach $2.8 billion in 2025. Kevin Jones, a cattle feeder from Eden, Idaho, begins his one-year term as chair of the U.S. Meat Export Federation on November 8th, and he just recently returned from a trade mission to Japan. He said U.S. beef exports to Japan reached $2.1 billion in 2018, accounting for about one-fourth of the worldwide record U.S. total of $8.3 billion. Last year, that $8.3 billion equated to more than $320 per head of fed cattle slaughtered. So that represents about $80 per head can be attributed to Japan. He went on to say that Japan's tariffs on U.S. beef cuts will be reduced from 38.5% tariff to 9% over 15 years. This agreement not only allows the U.S. beef industry to better defend our existing business in Japan, but will also be competing in a larger market as tariffs decline and beef consumption expands. Jones went on to say, 
that we've seen th that play out in South Korea, where tariffs have dropped dramatically in recent years, and U.S. beef exports to J Korea have flourished. We're expecting to see similar results in Japan, but on even a larger scale. In our next story, the USDA has suspended the proposed timeline phasing in the Animal Disease Traceability Act, or ADT. And these are ear tags, okay, electronic ear tags required by 2023 was the proposal. Last April, the USDA released a schedule that would have transitioned to mandatory radio frequency identification ear tags for all reproducing beef females over 18 months of age and all dairy animals of any age by 2023. In a statement released October 25th, the USDA Animal Plant Health Inspection Service, or APHIS, said the agency would revisit the guidelines and remove the fact sheet outlining the plan from its website, saying that the fact sheet is no longer representing current ag policy. The statement cited executive orders from President Donald Trump highlighting the need for more feedback from the industry before placing any new requirements on American farmers and ranchers. According to APHIS, while the need to advance a robust joint federal-state industry animal disease traceability capacity remains an important USDA objective, we will take the time to reconsider the path forward and then make a new proposal with ample opportunity for all stakeholders to comment. As we undertake this reconsideration of whether or not to put new requirements in place, we will encourage the use of RFID tags through financial incentives that are also consistent with suggestions we have received from cow-calf producers and others. We continue to believe that RFID devices will provide the cattle industry with the best protection against the rapid spread of animal diseases, as well as meet the growing expectation of foreign and domestic buyers. Black vultures and ravens have become a predator problem for many of our beef producers across the country, and especially our cow-calf producers with newborn calves. Despite populations of each species numbered in the millions, current regulations place arbitrary caps on permitted take and incur heavy restrictions on preventative measures necessary to protect farming and ranching operations. A letter was recently sent by 15 U.S. Senators and 23 members of Congress to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Acting Director Margaret Everson. The letter requested that the service adopt new rules to increase flexibility in the Migratory Bird Treat Act, permitting process to empower livestock producers to protect their livelihoods. This is an important step forward for those producers that have predators such as black vultures and ravens that pose a significant risk to newborn calves and livestock operations across the country. The American Farm Bureau Foundation for Agriculture has created a three-unit beef science curriculum designed for middle and high school science teachers that begins with an educator training followed by a classroom pilot of the units. The program will be submitted for this winter for the Next Generation Science Standards badge, which gives the curriculum validity to the targeted 75,000 science teachers nationwide. This is an important effort to help our youth understand the beef production system and the value of beef in a healthy lifestyle.
Farm Journal Washington correspondent Jim Weismeyer says a second market facilitation program or MFP2 installment has been authorized. He says is it is expected to be dispersed later this month or early December. USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue just recently announced during a press conference last Thursday that the White House and Office of Management and Budget cleared another round of MFP2 payments and said the money should go out to eligible farmers later this month or early December. The second installment will total just over $3.6 billion. And in another study, beef quality assurance is well recognized by producers, but consumers really don't know much about how beef producers take care of their animals. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association, a contractor to the beef checkoff, is introducing beef quality assurance to consumers for the first time through an integrated marketing campaign. The campaign will continue to educate consumers about how beef is responsibly raised and the farmers and ranchers committed to producing a safe, high-quality beef product. In this segment of Consumer Focus, we thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, alternatives to turkey for Thanksgiving. At least in my, fam in my family, Blaine, uh, uh, historically, we always had a little bit of turkey at, in, at home, okay, for Thanksgiving. But we've kind of moved over to some of the beef products and uh, used some alternatives. And let's talk about some of the alternatives to turkey. Even though you may want to buy a small turkey and maybe you've got, you know, something else as an alternative, uh, you know, on, on the menu for Thanksgiving. Um, really, what we see here in, in our retail and what we're feeling at home is the same thing. It's, you can take so much turkey. Um, and, you know, uh, a lot more families um, of those moms out there kind of get tired of running turkey four or five days in a row. So they're looking for something. They, they'll do the turkey for one day, uh, maybe one meal, but they're looking for alternatives um, that you can do something a little bit nicer. So maybe they'll do turkey for lunch and then switch over to something different for dinner and something different on Friday and Saturday night as well on that long holiday weekend. Um, so... There's a ton of different things of, of really from a historical standpoint that folks, uh, at least here in Indiana, north, northwestern Indiana, are looking at. The big thing that I've been noticing is they're really keying in on, on some bigger roasts for turkey or some alternatives for turkey day for yeah. Thanksgiving. Um, those bigger things that are going to be two alternatives, really. You're going to do something that's more cost-effective or you're going to do something that's higher end. And, and we see a lot of variation in that. In, in the retail here at uh, Purdue, um, I guess from the, the real high-end standpoint of, of where you're going to really want to splurge and spend those big bucks, you're going to be looking for a prime rib roast or some type of bone-in uh, loin roast, maybe even a boneless loin roast, tenderloin roast. Those are your real big, higher-dollar items that's going to feed a big crowd, but it's going to be a real celebration-type experience. Um, most of your retailers are pretty typically going to be carrying these. Okay, so here we have a standing rib roast. It's had the, the chine taken off of it. Um, this here is a pretty big one. We're looking at 20 pounds. This is going to feed a big crowd in that, you know, 20, 20 plus folks, uh, depending on how many young folks you have there. Your standing rib roast is your rib steaks as a whole. 
So it's going to be a bone-in rib roast. Um, from a time standpoint, this is going to put you in the same parameter as a large turkey. Uh, if you have this thing defrawled, this one here is actually frozen right now. It's one we had uh, one of our state fair champions from uh, this summer. Uh, but once you get this thing thawed out, you're probably going to want to do a couple hours of prep on it, or bringing it up to room temperature, some type of a half-hour sear there around that 450 range, and then back it off and let it go about 15 minutes per pound, and that'll put you in the same range as what a large turkey's going to take you. Probably not quite as much time. Um, you could get it down a little bit, but uh, that's going to be about your highest end um, cut that's going to put you in that, that same kind of real caliber of the best dining eating experience you can get, in my opinion. Um, just a really good classical kind of thing. Pretty hard to screw up. The only way to really screw these up, in my opinion, is if you completely undercook them, uh, which is, is pretty difficult to do. So but that's your bone-in standing rib roast, and that, that's about as best you can do from that standpoint. Something where you want to invest some more time as far as going into that the beef brisket is a really, really great option. It's uh, extremely flavorful. Um, we have a tremendous amount of folks that ha this has become their mainstay of, if it's not Thanksgiving, it's going to be Christmas. They are ordering already our, our beef briskets, and we've got a bunch set back uh, for customers, and they're going to smoke them. Uh, the majority of them are, are really committed to the smoking thing, and, and they're going to spend some, some time with mom uh, getting these things prepped up as far as our students here that uh, that purchase these items and then take them back home for the holidays, they're gonna they're gonna look for something that's got a lot of cap on it. They're pretty committed to that when they're doing their smoking um, and a lot of fat on that on that cap. They like to do the big size because they're gonna feed a big group of people for the most part. We do offer these in smaller sizes. Um, when you're doing that smoking process, it's gonna be a low slow process. Um, but if you're home for the holidays, this is a great option to do that with because you've got a lot of downtime and free time where you can kind of switch back and forth between other items, and this makes a, a great alternative uh, to that turkey. There again, you've got really good back-end things to carry over as far as meals after. If you like that cold brisket sandwich or that reheating it for that next day, this makes for a lot of really good alternatives, similar to what we have with that standing rib roast. You bet. And, you know, this makes a great center of the plate. It does. Kind of a meal, but it also follows up with a great sandwich. And and talking about, you know, that center of the plate look, when you get to doing those bigger items, and we actually have um, some of those other bigger roasts that people do throw in their smokers or their cookers outside, and they color up really beautiful. Uh, they varnish them well. They add some nice rubs to them. And they can really, really hone that in as a centerpiece on their plate. Thank you, Blaine. We'd like to take this time to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. In this month's producer focus, we've, I've asked uh, Cody Sankey to join us. And uh, Cody is from Economy, Indiana, in Wayne County. He's an Angus breeder. He's on the Indiana Beef Cattle Association Board of Directors, and he also works for Gen X. Cody, welcome. Well, glad to be here and uh, looking forward to it. 
Hey, Cody, let's let's talk a little bit about your operation first. Yep. So my wife, Lindsay, and I, we have two kids, uh, Caroline and Cyrus, live over there in Wayne County, and we run registered Angus cows. Um, we run about 50 cows, uh, seed stock operation, progressive genetics, try to focus on uh, uh, bulls to sell to other producers, along with breeding females to add value. Excellent. Hey, uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you're on the board of directors. What's the value of being a member of Indiana Beef Cattle Association for you? You know, it's an interesting question. I find a lot of different value. To me, the most important one is uh, having a voice in the industry. Uh, in today's fast-paced world, uh, farmers and ranchers are, are busy and can't always uh, make it to, into the political realm of the things that uh, are important to make sure that we have an opportunity to have a future and make sure beef and uh, all the things that are, we see out there in today's public uh, we have someone that can speak up and be our voice. And I think uh, the folks at Indiana Beef Cattle Association do a wonderful job of that and uh, taking in the best interests of the beef cattle producers in the state of Indiana. And so that's where I find the most value in being an IBCA member. Both at the state and at the national level. Very much so. And, and as we go forward, we see uh, more special interest groups that uh, make our uh, life a little harder, and it's nice to have someone there that uh, is talented and can be a, our voice for us and make sure that uh, we're taken care of. The other thing, Cody, that uh, you had the privilege of being involved with is the Young Cattlemen's Conference uh, back, I don't know, a year or two ago, and, and uh, IBCA supports one of those each year, as well as many of the breed associations. Uh, so talk a little bit about the YCC experience. So the YCC program, uh, the Young Cattlemen's Conference, uh, part of the NCBA and Indiana Beef sponsors one each year. And you go uh, on about a 10-day trip across the United States, start at the IBCA office in Denver and travel across the country and end up on Capitol Hill in D.C. And uh, it is probably one of the two or three most beneficial things I've done uh, just to expand my horizons in the beef cattle industry. Um, you know, I think we can get pretty focused in our day-to-day -day operations of what's going on at home, but allow you to broaden your horizons and uh, meet people from across the country. Uh, still, some of the most beneficial relationships I have today I made on that trip. Uh, you're there with, you know, 60 other people from across the U.S., uh, from Florida to Washington, uh, from the Dakotas to Texas, in different environments. You know, make you know you may realize, think you're small, and there's people that are smaller, and you realize just how small you are when someone's <laughs> got a thousand cows or uh, feeds out a hundred thousand cattle a year and runs a feed yard. But you know the value of that and the opportunities to see every aspect of the beef industry from pasture to plate, and then end up and lobby on uh, Capitol Hill and spend some time with uh, our staff there at uh, Washington D.C. is it was one of the most valuable experiences I've had. Well, and the networking with you know the next generation of leadership is just kind of a neat experience. Yes, it is, and you know I I see it now. You run into them whether it's in your uh, you go to the NCBA convention or you might see them at uh, a stock show somewhere, or a cattle sale or something, and they have a business interest there, and you can. You know them, you relate to them, you can expand on it. You just never know the doors and opportunities that open up because of that networking. Cody, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Welcome to Beef Monthly. My name is Matt Clays, Extension Beef Cattle Specialist at Purdue University. and want to talk a little bit about winterizing your cow herd. I know some of you are still putting up your forages and, and harvesting, getting them into the bags. 
once we get those forages harvested, I think it's really important to get an, an analysis on that forage and make sure that we know where we are from an energy and a crude protein standpoint. Once you have your analysis on your forages, I think it's really important to see where we're, we have some deficiencies and figure out what supplementation is going to work best for your operation. Now, with that, that supplementation, if you need to add energy or crude protein, maybe DDGs uh, would, would be what's best for you. We also have soy hulls and just good old number two yellow dent corn, if energy is needed, can be a good supplementation feed. And always make sure that you provide a good quality mineral uh, to your cattle, even throughout this gestating wintering months. The next thing that you really need to consider is checking your feed inventory. And some rules of thumb are to keep in mind they may only use so many bales of hay, but really we need to figure out how we're storing that forage and make sure that we minimize the waste and spoilage of that. But the best rule of thumb is to take a dry matter disappearance of 3% of the body weight uh, of the cow per head per day and that should give you uh, really a good buffer as to having enough feed as long as you've got your numbers of days that you're going to be supplementing that feed uh, accurately calculated. So 3% of the body weight um, per head per day is a, is a good measurement to use and then multiply by how many cows you're feeding and you'll know how much feed you really need. The other thing is uh, I think that we need to consider what uh, the supplements are and what you're going to use once you have that energy and crude protein of your forage base. It's good to, to think about what your operation is. What's the cost of feeding and the convenience of, of supplying a supplement? Some of you may want to use the uh, lick tubs just because it's, it's so convenient. But they may be a little bit uh, more costly than providing a DDG or corn or soybean hulls every day to those cattle. And it really depends on the operation as to what is going to be your mode of delivery. Another consideration would be um, what is the transportation cost of that supplement? How are, and how are we going to store it and the availability? In the winter months, you may want to use a modified DDG that has a higher moisture content because the storage of it is actually longer than what it is in the summertime. If you want to just get a truckload in and you have a smaller number of cattle, the dry DDGs may be certainly more productive for you as, uh, that op for that operation. Another thing to consider when supplementing is what is the bunk space and how much supplement feed am I going to have to provide those cows? If we're providing just a small amount, we need to be sure that we have enough bunk space for the cows so that the boss cow doesn't just necessarily uh, keep out some other cattle and then they end up not getting the supplementation that they need. So bunk space and the amount are two things to consider. And then the, the other thing I think that you need to consider for your supplementation is whatever you choose as a supplement, what kind of effects does it have on the micronutrients? What does it do for fat content, calcium phosphorus ratio, what might be the sulfur levels uh, added to that diet? And we want to make sure that we balance that diet so that we are in uh, safe uh, range for all those micronutrients. This morning uh, here at, at Purdue, uh, checking those waters is, is a good thing. It was 11 degree low this morning. We need to make sure that the waters, it's a good time to make sure that they're clean, but 
what is the freeze uh, prevention on those waters? We had some that uh, were frozen up uh, this morning, probably didn't have enough cattle on those waters. So consider the livestock load on the waters and it's a good time to check and make sure that those heaters uh, are working. Once you have your feed resources uh, figured out and the amount that you're going to have and what that supplementation would be, it's a good idea to sort the cattle according to their body condition scores. Uh, we want to target uh, the desired body condition score of a five to six. So we may need to think about if some cattle are lower in their body condition score, how many days is it going to take them to get to that five or six? And that will depend on the average daily gain. Mature cows, we're looking at 150 pounds to increase a body condition score. On those developing heifers, an increase of 75 pounds should increase the body condition score. If we put them into management groups based on body condition score, you can feed accordingly. Another thing to maybe consider at this time is to reevaluate your vaccination program and your parasite control program. Now that we've had a freeze, it wouldn't be a bad idea to go ahead and, and deworm uh, those, those cattle and consider what is your marketing situation for the calf crop? Did preconditioning uh, work uh, really well for you? Or if you just took the calves right off of the udder and took them to the marketplace, was that beneficial to you or not? The preconditioning program will certainly add weight uh, to your cattle, and we certainly have some feedlots that want to see those cattle with one and two rounds of vaccinations. And then maybe the last thing to be thinking about, some of you will be calving in January and February, and it will start uh, getting here quicker than, than what we realize, particularly with the holidays in there. It's probably a good time to think about your calving facilities and what needs to be prepared getting ready for the all-important calving season. That's Beef Monthly. Have a good day. In our Ask Dr. Ron segment, this month's question comes from several producers that I have visited with this past month. The question is, what information do I need to have available when working with a nutritionist to develop a cost-effective supplementation strategy for my low-quality hay? The first thing I would recommend is to get a forage analysis by lot. I define lot as hay that was from the same field harvested at the same time. Take 20 samples from each lot and commingle those, and that representative sample should be done by using a forage probe. Forage probes can be borrowed from many county extension offices across the state, fellow beef producers, and local cattlemen's associations. Samples should be sent to a certified lab for analysis, and there are two of these in the state, SureTech Laboratories on the west side of Indianapolis and the A&L Laboratories in Fort Wayne. I'd suggest that the forage basic analysis, which gives values for dry matter, neutral detergent fiber, energy, protein, calcium, phosphorus, potassium, and magnesium. As a nutritionist, I can work with those numbers. Next, I need to know the following animal information. What's the current animal's weight? What's the estimated body condition of the animal currently? What's the estimated mature weight of cows? And I'll use that because that really determines the growth curve for many of the equations that we use. What's the breed type? We know that different breeds have different levels of milk production and levels of nutrient requirements. 
What's the expected birth weight if we're talking about a cow? What's the stage of production, such as mid-gestation, late gestation, early lactation, bulls, heifers, or feedlot cattle? What's the desired level of performance? Do I need to increase body condition score, for example? Or do I, what rate of gain do I expect these cattle to perform at? What's the starting and ending dates for the feeding period? And then I'd like to have environmental conditions. Are the animals exposed to, to wind? Okay, or do they have some protection? What's the hair condition? Is it clean? Or is there mild mud or heavy mud or wet matted hair? What's the hair coat condition? Is it a summer hair coat? Is it a transition coat? A winter or a heavy winter hair coat? What feeds are available? Okay, to be able to allow us to balance for energy and protein, such as distiller's grains, corn gluten feeds, soybean hulls, soybean meal, corn, or other feeds that may be available locally. And then lastly, I'd like to know what your commercial mineral feed tag says. That gives me an idea whether we can meet the mineral and vitamin requirements of these, these animals during the winter feeding period. In upcoming programs and events, last month we had Matt Clays and Barry Westner talking about Hoosier Beef Congress. And this month, we're going to learn more about Hoosier Beef Congress. Welcome to Beef Monthly. My name is Matt Clays, Beef Cattle Extension Specialist and Livestock Judging Team Coach here at Purdue University. And we're really fortunate to have Barry Westner here to talk about the Hoosier Beef Congress, big event that we have the first part of December. Barry, welcome and, and thanks for being here. Uh, first of all, you want to tell us a little bit about the purpose of uh, Hoosier Beef Congress and the educational events? Sure. Um, I tell you what, Hoosier Beef Congress was uh, basically derived out of a brainstorming session back in 1985. Uh, they were sitting around uh, as a collective group uh, at IBCA and they decided they wanted to put on a premier educational event. They wanted to make it a one-of-a-kind uh, special deal. And, uh, you know, a couple of iconic gentlemen, Matt, that you would know, uh, the, actually the chairman and co-chairman at the time when they had the first one in 1987 were uh, Jim Galuli and Barry Jordan, yep. two, two iconic uh, gentlemen in the beef cattle business here in Indiana. So uh, that's what they did. And obviously it's been an overwhelming success. Uh, you know, we still to this day we hear a lot of people say it's one of the premier events in the country. It's not just the cattle show, but yet has a lot of other youth activities uh, involved with it. Okay. And what are the dates for the event this year? Uh, December 4th through the 8th. Obviously, the, you know, the cattle show being the 7th and 8th there on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, but on the 4th there we'll start, uh, you know, letting cattle come on the grounds and, uh, you know, trying to put it all into motion. So the 4th through the 8th. Now, the, you started to say that the cattle will arrive and, and check in um, earlier in the week, prior to the weekend. You want to maybe run down through that schedule? Yeah, we can do that quickly. Uh, 3 p.m. on Wednesday the 4th is the first time we allow cattle in the barn. Uh, primarily then we've got just the sale cattle uh, in there at that particular point, but anybody's welcome. Uh, obviously, we uh, we continue stalling and stuff according to the schedule on the Hoosier Beef Congress website. Up until Friday the 6th is the big day. That's the day that everything goes through the processing shoots, and, and uh, that's how we generate the show programs and everything. So, uh, again, it's kind of a work in progress from Wednesday uh, going up till Friday. And I might just mention, too, and it outlines it on the schedule. We started here a couple of years ago 
there on Friday, uh, weighing some commercial heifers and steers, and it, it's really, really helped us. Our goal, and, and I will tell any of you watching, if you're around me that day, I can get kind of grumpy and cranky that day because we, we want to get those cattle processed and be ready for the kickoff of the, the big showmanship contest at 5 p.m. there on Friday. So Friday. we're running a lot of stock through the chutes uh, from 11 o'clock on Friday and trying to be done by 5. Yeah. So after the showmanship competition, things kind of close down for, for the night, and we start up then Saturday morning uh, with the livestock judging contest, which we usually have a large group of, of people uh, there that I, I'm kind of in, in charge of. But also in the morning, uh, the sales going on. You want to tell us a little bit about uh, the sales starting? You bet. Uh, uh, that Saturday morning, it's the it's the crunch time for all of us down there. We got lots of stuff going on. As you mentioned, your judging contest. Uh, the Indiana Junior Beef Cattle Kids uh, kick off their silent auction that morning. Uh, the trade shows in full force, and the All Star uh, uh, heifer and breed sales start there in the south end of the cattle barn. And again. Uh, what a great opportunity for IBCA members as a perk to their membership to be able to participate in uh, in all-breed sales like we have. Uh, uh, well, it's going to be a fun-packed weekend. Anything else we need to know about? No, I, I think maybe I would take just a minute, though. I was talking to Joe Moore yesterday, and, you know, uh, I have been uh, kind of a slacker on my involvement with Indiana Beef Cattle Association over the years, uh, but I don't think a lot of people realize that Hoosier Beef Congress would not happen if it wasn't for IBCA. Without I mean, it, it is it is IBCA's event. It's one of their signature events along with the Cattlemen's Club and serving ribeyes and stuff at the state fair. So, you know, just to clear up any misconceptions of, you know, benefits of membership, uh, Hoosier Beef Congress would be one of those. And it's all volunteer ranch. Absolutely, mm -hmm. and, and we couldn't do it without it. I mean, I get a lot of credit that I don't deserve because I've got an excellent group of volunteers. We have in excess of 120 volunteers that help us pull this all off. Of course, there's a core group of us. Uh, you've got Rick Seahays, your overall chairman of the Hoosier Beef Congress, and then I run the Junior Show, and we've got Brian Shooter and his wife and just a host of others that, you know, it, it just would not be possible unless everybody pulls in the same direction because it's a, it's a big event to pull off in that time frame. But it's a good team, and they, they work well together, and everybody knows what, what their role is. Barry, thanks for stopping by Beef Monthly. And other activities over the next month or two, we have the regional beef meetings kicking off on December 10th and running through January. A list of the meeting times and locations are posted below in the show notes. This year's Master Cattlemen Program will be held in Rensselaer, Indiana and hosted by Brian Overstreet. Registration deadline is November 22nd. For more information, see the show notes below. The Indiana Beef Cattle Association Annual Convention and Trade Show will be Saturday, January 25th. For more information, visit the Indiana Beef Cattle link posted in show notes below. This presentation was a production of the Animal Science Department at Purdue University.